Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and today's guest I've had on the show once before talking about his comic book, Kamar, which the Kickstarter had just started. But since then, that project got funded. And we also were doing this really cool Fallout podcast, which, sad to say, um, we're wondering if that's going to see the light of day only because technical difficulties tend to befall us. But obviously, we don't have that problem today. And he's back to discuss his new book called Ashes. Is a writer, stand-up comedian. And it's pretty funny because if you've listened to our, our last discussion, which was uh episode titled The Other Other Mario C, we discussed that sort of fun, weird line between you know, writing jokes and also telling these really great dramatic stories. Welcome my guest, Mario Candelaria. Mario, how's it going, man? Hey, good. What's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot, and uh, it's good to have you back on. I, I'm always uh, I'm always uh, up for chatting with you, and I'm glad we have the opportunity, and hopefully this one will actually work this time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back, and I'm pretty sure this one will go smoothly. No, I think it's going pretty smoothly already, and I know we had already started talking about Fallout prior to the uh, to the podcast, and I feel like I'm going to try my best not to incorporate that into the actual comic book discussion. <laughs> All right, no problem. <laughs> it's like, oh, so isn't it crazy how like firefighters are always running into super mutants? Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. When we first talked, you had a comic out called uh, Kamar, which was a, what was that one again? It was basically a, like a crime story set in like the, the early fifties. Yeah. Uh, that was a fifties Los Angeles, uh, dramatic romance. Right. And it was just so funny because as we were talking about that and we did talk a little bit about ashes at the end, but I'm just like, how does someone go from that transition of, kind of being known to be a funny man professionally but then in your comics your stories are not necessarily you know they're definitely not comedies by any stretch of the imagination i guess being bipolar has its perks right <laughs> <laughs> no um it's just it, it's easy to carp, you know compartmentalize uh what i'm doing and separating it um the, there's an old saying that a man is uh whoever he needs uh, i butchered this i just george w bush that was a quote by the way. <laughs> 
can't get quoted again. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, it just depends on the audience and what I'm doing currently. You know, I can uh, I can switch it on and switch it off and such. Which, by the way, I never did get to tell you. Well, congratulations, by the way, on the funding of Kamar. That was really cool. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, um, that was a really that was a really big uh, step for us. Um, I'm right now. The next thing is uh, well, besides finishing it up and getting it out to everyone, uh, trying to find a publisher for it for the remaining five issues for the six issue miniseries and um if not we'll probably just end up releasing it independently because i feel like it might be one of the strongest things i've written in the second half of 2015 right which and ash is well you did a kickstarter for that correct yeah i did that ages ago that was my very first one i learned a lot from doing that and i rolled that over into my other experiences but uh, ashes was a was a really great uh, experience altogether. I got to meet a lot of people and got to really put it out there. Very cool. Because um, who did the art on that one? Carl Slominski. The guy is a genius. He's another Cuber alumni, which uh, if you notice, that's a running thread throughout all my projects. I feel like they put out good quality and uh, reliable artists, such as uh, him and Ashley St. Lawrence. Yeah, because Ashley does the art on Kamar. And again, I love the art on both of those books. I, I think they're fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, Carver really brought he he brought out the drama in there and the heavy blacks and and the uh, conservative uses of of whites in certain panels. Uh, there really aren't that many gray. I can't think of any gray panels to be honest. I think he pretty much did it all in stark black and white. You know, this is something that I think we may have discussed when we talked last time about the importance of good inking. And I think that a lot of people, at least for your casual comic readers, don't realize just how important that all is in terms of really bringing an image to life like it's not just merely just pencils and colors yeah uh, carl did it all old school uh he inked by hand which is starting to be a a dying art form in itself because i know a lot of people are switching to digital inks but yeah uh inking can really really bring out the image or it could uh it can ruin an image depending on how the uh who does the pencils and who does the inking how did ashes come together because again i feel so bad by the time we got rolling with it last time we were already near the end of the show so i, I don't think we really got to get in depth into just how ashes came about like what was the start for that story honestly i was just trying to think of some cool concepts for something um i'm i'm not a cookie cutter type of person if, like if i see a group is running towards one way i'll try to run to the other one just to you know be a hipster about it but <laughs> i'm uh, <laughs> no i was just thinking of you know um type of books i would want to read i mean i love spider-man i love x-men but my my favorite comics the ones that stand out are the ones that aren't about superheroes you know the more dramatic stuff or more true-to-life human element is always what appeals to me and i thought hey why don't i make this awesome story about heroes and i was thinking all right kind of do one about war because um you know the military service is something that's close to me uh but i thought that that might have been too off-putting especially given the current climate and then the second one was firefighters i mean i love always you know seeing the dramatic shots of you know this blazing 10 alarm <laughs> uh you know, I mean, it sucks for the brownstone, but, you know, like you're seeing something go up in flames and it's always great, you know, for like photographs being taken. And I just went from there. That's something that I kind of really took to because while my father wasn't a firefighter, he was a police officer. But at the same time, growing up, we dealt with a lot of the fire and a lot of the guys at the local houses um, very close family wise. So it was kind of cool to see just how relatable the story was and especially like that banter and that the uh, the opening. It's you got the beads down, Pat. It's, that's definitely kind of that vibe that a lot of firefighters give off. Firefighters are normal people. I mean, um, <laughs> I think sometimes the general population seems to forget that firefighters are just regular dudes that got a job. 
and they, <laughs> and they just happen to do. So they're going to talk like normal, you know, they can talk about sports or, or women or food or whatever. And especially the bust in the balls. That's just something that goes in <laughs> brotherhood. <laughs> yeah, I, I come from a long line of ball busters and I hope to continue that line. <clears throat> but, you know, I just think that that to me shows great character. If you can give it as well as you can take it and have fun with it rather than being, you know, vindictive and mean, I think that's, that's a great uh, personality trait to have. But it's, um, I know someone's probably saying, well, that's a weird thing to point out, but you mentioned that, you know, you toyed around with the idea of doing like a military theme mm-hmm. book and okay. Let's be honest. There's a lot of military stories, whether they be comics or movies or TV shows, the dialogue and actually it's the same way with a lot of like stories with firefighters and doctors and such where the dialogue tends to be very heavily stylized mm. where it's using a lot of jargon that you you hear but when you think about it I'm like okay in, in a real life situation do people really talk like this I'm sure that there's one person out there that the whole thing was based on uh, that spoke <laughs> like that. But, you know, for the most part, people are people. It doesn't matter if you're doctors or if you're working at Walmart or if you're sitting there, you know, in some uh, mess hall in the middle of Iraq. You know, you're going to you're gonna converse the pretty much the same way uh, across all languages and races and nationalities, too. You know, once you get a group of people going it's pretty much going to be similar. You know, the people like to have fun and it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Frank Miller, 24 <laughs> seven. Funny. You should say that. I'm just now editing an episode where a friend and I were talking about that Frank Miller book, Holy terror. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh yes. We actually went and did that. Um, it was something that we thought of and having reread it and then re-editing it and going back to those points, that's kind of the thing. And again, I, I try my best not to, you know, speak ill of any creator oh, yeah, of any of sort. But after reading that book and you realized dialogue can get away from somebody very easily. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very refreshing to read something like Ashes, even though the subject matter is very hardcore. <laughs> but at the same time, it was just so very refreshing because I'm like, okay, this isn't nearly as bad as what I was just covering. Huh. Yeah, they don't think, well, by that comparison, I'm better than Frank Miller. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just name that the episode better than Frank Miller? Yeah, actually, if you want to. <laughs> the second <laughs> coming of Frank. That's what it is. <laughs> no, that, that's pretty cool, though. But um, Yeah, that actually surprised some people that when they were like, well, we didn't expect the dialogue to be like that. I'm like, well, it's because, you know, some people might be expecting comic book dialogue. Well, I'm just trying to write dialogue, you know, not necessarily like, this thing could have worked as a film as a as a telenovela as a radio play <laughs> i mean it doesn't matter what it is i'm going to write the same realistic way for anything right but i think that's important because that shows and especially now with eyes on the comic book culture as a whole that there's still a lot of people who feel that comics are always written a certain way that it's strictly superheroes and that very kind of standard dialogue that I think there's some people who are still maybe on the fence because you read something like this and you're like, wait a minute, you can have a comic where people just talk regularly? And that sounds very dumb to us because it's like, okay, we're familiar with that. But someone from the outside looking in, that's something I think very important that they need to see. Yeah, I mean, some of my biggest influences were just regular people talking. Comic books are Bendis. Bendis was the master of just having superheroes talk like regular people. Not even just Jessica Jones, but entire issues of like his new Avengers run, which was one of my first Avengers books, which is sometimes people sitting around chatting before, you know, the next big bad guy comes out. Right. And also Dean Haspiel, he's, 
He's great. His one Zuda imprint uh, from DC Comics, he put out Street Code. And that was the first thing that really blew me away because that was just a guy in Brooklyn living his normal life and just narrating it. Uh, Seth Kushner, um, the late, great Seth Kushner, he he's also a master of slice of life stuff. And also my friend Joey Esposito, he just had a book come out called Pawn Shop. And, you know, I feel like having regular people talking and not that comic booky way is really something that's starting to catch on but also could be magical if you're looking for something different that's really what hit home because i'm trying my best not to bring out spoilers necessarily because <laughs> obviously you want people to read it at the end of the day spoil it spoil it like bad milk <laughs> all right well as long no, as i I'm have just, your permission <laughs> no i'm just messing <laughs> okay never mind because <laughs> i was like oh we could do that <laughs> we, can but, drop, uh, we can't give things away Okay, we can't get things away, but again, that's almost, I was almost lulled into a false sense of security, though, because the dialogue was so very, like, easygoing at first, and you forget, wait a minute, these guys are firefighters, you know, shit's gonna go wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, shit can go wrong now. If I'm sitting in my condo, the tree next to me can fall down and I can die, you know, and I'm just having a casual conversation with you. Wow, that's dark. Yeah, well... <laughs> Like now, now I'm worried. Like I, I have this picture like, outside your house. It's like this whomping willow type tree, like from Harry Potter. Uh, no, it's it's a sturdy bus saying Like I can get Donnie Darkwood right now by a plane engine, and never know. <laughs> I love that's a verb. Yes, Donnie Darkwood. <laughs> Frank. No, I can't work that out yet. I'll get back to that. I'll circle back later. All right, well, tell you what, there you go. See, not only are you the, uh, I don't even know who wrote uh, Donnie Darko. This is this is embarrassing because I used to watch that movie on a regular basis. But there you go, you're the new Frank Miller and the new whoever wrote Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh, man. Hollywood writers get no love to that. <laughs> but by the same token, though, you say that you wrote this from story like you, you know, you want to write some cool mm -hmm. characters. But yet I almost feel like that's almost a guarded response because the story seems much more personal than that. Honestly, no, that's just how I am. I'll, I'll come up with an idea and I'm a method writer. I'll, I'll research and research and research and emulate and I'll listen to people and I'll talk to people and I'll try to pull in elements of that. So that way, you know, I could bring the most realistic and true to life story out there. That's very awesome. So did you actually get to like hang out with firefighters like go out on calls yeah. with like a notepad? <laughs> uh, I talked to a lot of people, you know, retired also, you know, current and such. Uh, a lot of old friends from high school are into that now. Uh, one of my old high school best friends, his real name is Matt Williger. I stole his name because it sounds like a perfect character name. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, his dad wasn't a firefighter, but he was a you know corrections officer. And I spent a lot of time back in the day talking with him and you know, you get to see how they are when talking about the job, but also how they are, you know, in true to life. I couldn't help but feel a little, I don't want to say maybe nostalgic, but that relationship between um, Matt and his father. And that one kind of hit close to home because, you know, my dad kind of going up in the ranks in the police department and sort of having that, that sort of, I guess, that family unit whom everybody knows. And that one kind of tugged at the heartstrings a little bit because... It was just, it reminded me so much of me and my dad. I was like, oh. wow. I'm like, are you sure you didn't follow me around uh, early on? Like, did you go back in time and like look at me ah, as a kid? Um, that's, uh, that's actually the theme of the book. Uh, deep down, it's just a story about fathers and sons, whether it's uh, Matt and his dad, who doesn't have a name. It's just Mr. Twilliger the whole time. <laughs> or, uh, or Matt and his son, Marco. It's just, you know, a relationship uh, between fathers and sons, if you look at that and the way that... You know, they uh, they go back and forth. Um, we can we can say this here, but, you know, Matt and his dad don't have a great relationship, but 
they're always sort of at each other's throat, but they have, but they have each other's back for the most part. It's like family, you know, you could hate your family and still, you know, one moment and then be all about them the next moment. And of course, coming off of the heels of Thanksgiving, I feel like that's something that a lot of people can resonate with. (laughs) (laughs) I love this story. It wasn't necessarily, oh, hey, look at firefighters doing cool shit. You know, like, I mean, the, the firefighter, the, the sequences themselves are fantastic, which, of course, like the way they're storyboard and the way they're drawn, because they're sort of drawn almost as chaotic as you can imagine it would be in a scenario like that. Oh, that's all Carl. Um, Carl took my script and he omitted some panels or stretched out some panels, added his own thing. I mean, he really made it his own, and I'm really happy that I got a chance to work with him. He really is a good uh, voice that's emerging in the comic industry. <laughs> so of course you go into him, the like, car, what the hell you like took out like three of my panels. Yeah, but check this out. It's like, Oh, okay. Uh, nope. never mind. <laughs> I did not doubt him for one second. <laughs> oh, see now I'm just trying to sell the drop. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're cool. Um, he is a true artist. Let's say that he takes what he does seriously, but he also likes to have fun too. One thing I did always appreciate was, I have to say, my favorite character is still Lopez, by the way. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I'm Lopez. I used to go to all my friends' houses, eat all their food. <laughs> <laughs> and then just walk right back Oh, no, out. I do that now with my fiance. Uh, <laughs> I'll walk into my fiance's parents' house, open the fridge like without anyone asking me, and be like, hey, what's the story with this Tupperware? <laughs> and that's how you know you're really tight with a family or oh, person yeah. where Absolutely. you just start raiding the fridge and no one even thinks anything of it. Is it really a raid if you just casually walk in and walk out? Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's like a raid like a Viking. You know, you're not like <laughs> brandishing a broadsword and like, you know, slashing and burning, but just that casual, like you walk in, of course, you know, you pay respects, you say hi, but yep. then you just like walk right towards the fridge or wherever the like drinks are being dispensed. And yeah, you just make it your own. <laughs> I guess you kind of have to. No, yeah, that was one of my favorite things I, 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 that I wanted to incorporate. I wanted to show how casual of a relationship he had and also how comfortable he was with the family. As you go into the book, though, you realize just kind of how strained a lot of those relationships can be. Mm-hmm. And I guess the face of adversity, which was also pretty tough. Yeah, like I said, I try to keep it as true to life as possible. Um, your best friend could be right there. But if you're going through something and you can get in that depression and feel like no one's there for you, I tried to capture that as well. That one was kind of hard to read, I'm not going to lie to you. And while I necessarily didn't face anything like what what Matt had faced in the book, but I mean, I'm not going to necessarily lie because I have no reason to hide, but I do, you know, suffer from chronic depression. You're absolutely right. It's just those things that in those moments where you're feeling your worst, you can have like the world's greatest support system. In those moments, you don't see that, you know, you don't see that people are there and it's very easy to lash out. And, it, and it's very easy to, I guess, forget that and sort of, like I said, feel sorry for yourself when you start sinking into that. And this was actually this was surprisingly hard to read towards the end of this book because, you know, it starts off pretty basic. And then, you know, once it gets into uh, once into like the heart of the story, I'm like, oh, man, like I started drawing all these parallels to my life and my family. And I was just like, holy crap, Mario, why did you do this to me? Ah, I'm bringing the feels, right? <laughs> I didn't want to say it because I feel like that's such a cliche thing to say now because, of course, everybody in the internet does it, but that's exactly it. You hit me right in the feels in, in a big, bad way. No, um, yeah, and it's funny, too. Like you said, when people talk to me, I'm pretty laid back and sarcastic, you know, but uh, when I get when I start writing, I just, you know, tap into a whole other side of me. 
But that's kind of the essence of writing because I know it's different from different people, though. Mm-hmm. But at least while I don't have any comics or any works published, but you know, I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, though. But when I write, like it's like you're writing, like you're really just pouring everything out into what you're doing. Yeah. And in a way that it's it's almost I don't want to say it's difficult, but in a way you're really just exposing yourself, putting everything out there, whatever your emotions are, and. That's something that I think a lot of writers, a lot of good writers do, but yet they make it seem so effortless, but it, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I drink a lot of vodka when I write. That's that's <laughs> no, that's a, that's a straight-up truth. That's, now, do you do like straight-up vodka, or do you like a vodka tonic kind of thing? Uh, no, I'm a wuss. I mix things. Uh, I, okay. I'm, I'm in my 30s. I don't do shots. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I feel like uh, getting a little loose with that helps bring out the ideas, but once I get in a groove, alcohol or no, sometimes it just pours out it's this really great rush in a way it's it's very cathartic and i'm so glad that at least and in myself like that exists because there's sometimes just there's certain things that you think about or you feel that i'm like wow if i'm so glad if i didn't have writing i don't know what the hell i would do uh play more fallout well yeah but <laughs> or just start writing more uh more essays and articles about how fallout's ruined my life and my relationships <laughs> If I'd have writing, I'd probably have a, have a three-story home and a family, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. Uh, I was going to say, you're doing all right. Yeah, no, I would, uh, I'd probably just do something else to pass my time. Probably tell more jokes on, on stage or, uh, I don't know, <sighs> get into car racing. I always see the guys at the Dunkin' Donuts here with their cars. I'd probably be one of them. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Like, what, stock car, NASCAR kind of thing? Or no, like you know. Street like, racing. Like, well, you're in Jersey. You might have the same thing. It might not be Dunkin' Donuts, but it's a place where all these souped-up cars seem to gather on a week. Oh yeah, yeah, on a yeah. Oh. Well, see, where I live, there's a lot of um, industrial areas, and they're not always occupied. So a lot of those guys, you know, they hang out in like you know those empty lot kind of things. Not bad. <laughs> I, I have friends who are into that, and I always like that stuff. I just, you know, I want to write about it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you you sure you're not going to go all fast and furious and just start turning over a new leaf? Hey, I freak out when my girlfriend hits a pothole. I'm sorry, my fiance. I gave her an upgrade when she hits a when she hits a <laughs> pothole. I freak out. So you know, oh. you know, try to street drag race now. Ah, there you go. Like, think of it as it's method. Think of it as your next story. <laughs> all right, there you go. <laughs> of course, I say that, and it's like, oh. You know, writer Mara Candelaria in a fiery auto crash, and <laughs> it was recorded that his last words were, thanks a lot, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, boy. You know, I hate you still, because <laughs> I, I, I read that, and that one took a long time to get through. Then by the end of it, I was like, you know what? That's what I get for thinking this was going to be an easy read. Like, it was, it was an easy read as far as just dialogue and everything, but yeah, that one hit a little close to home. Well, uh, I apologize, but also you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I'm trying to I'm trying to do something different. Comic writers have done this in the past. That's no secret. But I'm trying to put out something that's not typically seen on the shelves. And one thing I did really appreciate too is there's also a nice, healthy dose of uh, social commentary in this book. And I don't know if that was intentional or is that something that just sort of came out as a byproduct. Uh, depends. I'll give you an answer if you tell me what it was. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, I'm trying to, okay, how can I phrase this without bringing up, like, exact spoilers? Mm. All right, two words, fire escapes. Yeah, no, uh, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, and we had the nastiest little fire escape. Now, I was, uh, I don't know, like a 60-pound kid, so I could sit out there. But I remember um, 
one Fourth of July watching the fireworks going over the uh that was back when they did it on the not the Hudson River, the East River. Um yeah, uh, did, there were lots of people in the neighborhood sitting on the fire escape in our building, and I remember feeling like this wasn't safe when you could feel it waving a little bit from the weight of people standing on there. And fire escapes haven't really been updated that much. And you know, I, I used to go to the old neighborhood regularly, and I went there a couple of years ago, and it still looked like the same rickety, dark red with rust fire escapes. Yeah, and then it got me thinking, like, in a, and this is all just clearly a scripted story, but I'm like, how many? people have of course come into trouble with those because then it led me to think about you know building maintenance and what happens and mm-hmm. how many you know possible accidents could have been prevented and then it just led to this whole this thing in my head like i actually just started getting angry i'm like who do i write letters to about the fact that these fire escapes and like there's a reason why they're, there. they're supposed to save lives and yet there's a potential that they're doing more harm than good because they're not properly maintained now you gotta think some of these buildings the facades are Going back to the early 1900s in some parts of Brooklyn, I mean, they're updating it a lot, but when this book takes place in Park Slope, it's still the classic brownstones as well as, you know, classic uh, block-style apartment buildings for the most part. And these things have been out there for almost a century of rain, hail, snow, blizzards, (laughs) you know, and, you know, everything in between where it goes from hot to cold really quickly, uh, you know, because of fluctuations in the climate. And that's not good on metal. Metal will deteriorate over time. It just depends on, uh, sorry, Gail, scientific, but. No, that's, that's great. I, I, that's, no, don't, don't apologize. I think that's something that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it rusts and breaks down. I mean, I had a, I had a car that had a lot of rust because it was a metal car and just driving in the snow. And that was only like a, like a 93 Honda Civic. So I can't imagine something that's out there all the time in the elements for decades upon decades right and then of course think about of course the fire escape alone but also just a major blaze in one of these old brownstones you know obviously once fire catches today you might as well be lighting tissue paper you don't realize just the the amount of danger that a firefighter put themselves through because i mean you get your standard calls where maybe i don't know someone left like a pot on a stove and like a smoke detector comes off and you know they come to the house and we'll check on it whatever but that's not every day. And I think about, you know, at least in terms of my family, you know, my father being a cop, you know, when he was still on patrol, you know, I always kind of took for granted that at the end of the night, you know, my dad was going to come home. Mm-hmm. And then years later, you hear about all the crazy stories and not even just him, but the guys on his forest. And, and especially now with, at least in terms of law enforcement, you know, unfortunately now we're, you start, we're starting to see the uglier side of that. But, you know, the majority of these guys are, like you said, your typical regular people who are just doing a job. And yet you never know what kind of situation you're going into. You know, one day you could be going in, you know, getting a call about, okay, hey, you know, there's a disturbance here. And who knows what you could be rolling into. And like I said, at least a fire. I mean, shoot. You know, when they maybe when they first made that call, you know, the blaze was one thing. But then over time, obviously, because th- it does take them a while to get to the the scene of the incident, but it can clearly escalate. And that's it's it's really scary stuff when you think about it. Because yeah. as a kid, you know, I thought about it. It's like, you know, because as a kid, you're always like, oh, I want to be a firefighter and I want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not all backdraft. There's not all slow motion and, you know, guitar riffs over blazes <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, especially like some parts of Brooklyn, you had families living in the same place for generation upon generation. I mean, you always hear about brownstones selling for millions now, but 
you have people like Spike Lee's parents have been there since the borough was funded pretty much. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's incredible. I mean, you know, um, building codes back when they might have purchased it originally are a lot different than what building codes are now. So like you said, if you get a type of fire, who knows what type of wood they have there or what's going on in the drywall. Uh, asbestos was big back in the day, but that's been pretty much frowned upon as a you know um, carcinogen. So they might have taken that out and not replaced it with something or even the old uh, insulation back when it was like the pink panther fiberglass stuff. Um, there's, there's tons of factors, factors upon factors that could lead to something that could just be a simple microwave fire to taking down, you know, property after property. Yeah. And then of course there's also, you know, possible lack of inspection because even in Jersey, you know, I've been to some buildings that, are clearly um, left to the elements and to a little bit of decay. And, you know, people live in these places. And again, that's that's where they live and that's fine. But yet they're not properly maintained. And I mean, that's that's not to say that you can have a house that everything's up to code and still, you know, have a pretty big blaze in. But that was cool to, that you pointed out the fact that a lot of these things could very well be prevented. I listen to a lot of Jersey 101.5, so I'm always hearing people <laughs> complaining, call it in the radio station on various topics. Uh, no, it wasn't like a purpose social, you know, like socially conscious type thing. It was just a true, real, uh, you know, threat that could happen. And I was like, okay, this would be good to put in there. Also, it's sort of foreshadowing. If you noticed one complaint he had in that one scene and what happened later on with the main character. Right. And then I guess dodging that spoiler, but it also kind of happens again towards the end mm-hmm. in a completely different way. And it is terrible to say because I'm like, man, this guy cannot catch a break. No, that was me going um, pretty much uh, full movie hero in that scene. <laughs> but see, that was, but I, I like that a lot because A, it was necessary for the story. Yeah. I didn't see that one coming at all. Cause and that was something that was really great of the fact that I started thinking about stories that I've read that were that I thought were similar to this. I'm like, okay, I know what's gonna happen here. Here's gonna go. I was like, nope, did not expect that one. It's like, okay, now that we're at this new spot, but still, I I've seen this before. I know where this is gonna go. Nope, completely completely off into left field again. It's like, all right, now you just screw with me. <laughs> yeah, that was the most comic booky thing I think towards the end. That was the most uh, typical, not typical comic book, but comic book relatable uh sequence that happened at the end but at the same time it may be more as you call it comic booky but at the end of the day it's still a hero's tale yep but just not told in that same way that it normally is it's not really avoidable i think as a reader if this is the story i had to tell you have to then show this like you have to see how this works out for the character and there's some sometimes where those classic storytelling beats while i know in a in a modern climate we try our best to subvert them but sometimes you almost still have to go through those steps just to get to that point yeah you hit it right on the head uh, <laughs> you know i mean that was the one way that we thought okay this would progress the story but also you know add some new element of drama into it now you said yourself that you had a lot of influences with this as far as you know you've talked to a lot of people went to a lot of circles so was there anybody in particular that you ran across parts of the story like i mean not necessarily co-writer but did you have someone that you then kind of just showed them pages of the script it's like oh hey what do you think it is is this accurate or did you have like a go-to at that point 
at that point, no. I like I pretty much had my notes, and then it went straight uh, from me to Carl to the editor, back to me, and then back to them before you know we we finished it up. But I did um, during during the process. I was showing Dean Haspiel uh, pages every now and then because you know I always value his opinion. He's always, he's sort of been like a mentor to me. Um, and plus, you know, he lives in that area, Brooklyn. So I know if 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 I could pull it off, he would be proud. But yeah, um, I showed him a lot, a couple other people here and there, but there wasn't anyone that I went to for for character reference per se. You said that the Kickstarter for this was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Now, um, how was it that it got picked up by uh, Z Two Comics? Or was that always the plan? Uh, it was the plan to get picked up by someone. Um, we had a couple offers, but I felt that Josh was. Uh, was the best bet, especially with ha- what what he had uh, planned. He was originally Zip Comics, and uh, they rebranded it for Z2. And he had released a book with Dean, actually. That's how I met him, at a release party for Escapo, the Paul Hope book. And Dean introduced me to him, and I like Josh. We hit it off, and then one night we had dinner, <clears throat> you know. And I told him uh, my vision and my plan, and he told me his. And you know, even though we had other offers on the table, I still felt that his was the best bet. And Josh now, I mean, he where he is at now is uh, he's pretty much met the goal. He told me that he wanted to hit this time last year, to be honest. Uh, they have several graphic novels being released as well as single issues. Welcome to Show Side just came out. And they have a cartoon with uh, Henry Rollins actually doing a voiceover. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw a bit of that at uh, New York Comic Con, and I believe the Hollywood Reporter, I'll have to confirm this, but one of the major pub- uh, trade publications actually showed uh, or debuted the uh, the footage for that. Oh, man, I'm just imagining now like a live-action version of Ashes with Henry Rollins as one of the <laughs> firefighters. Oh, man, uh, not quite yet, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, never say never. Watch a year from now when we're all at the premiere, and you're gonna, once again, you're going to say, thanks a lot, Adrian. First, you got me into a horrible tri- uh, car crash, and now I got a movie with Henry Rollins as a firefighter. After what he did in Sons of Anarchy, I don't know if I could see him as a hero. <laughs> <laughs> See, what? I don't watch Sons of Anarchy, so unfortunately that reference is, uh, it escapes me. Uh, I started with Sons of Anarchy Season 2, because I was like, what's this show everyone was talking about? And that was just about before Netflix came out, so you know, I wasn't able to backtrack. But yeah, uh, he was he was a pretty bad, bad guy in that. But he does do like law enforcement ties very well and a few things that he's played it off. I, I think it'd be an interesting fit. Maybe not necessarily for Matt, but... <laughs> as maybe the boss or so. Yeah, like maybe like one of the boss or like the um, Matt's dad, Mister Twilliger. There you go. Oh well, see that completely changes the dynamic of that story, though. <laughs> well, no, his his dad's a hard ass, and Henry Rollins can play that. So man. very true. But then there's also, and I'm not saying that Henry can't pull it off, though. But there's certain moments where I I feel like, well, there's one in particular, but again, I don't want to mention it necessarily. But during one of the confrontations, I feel like Henry probably would have dealt with it a little bit different. Hmm. <laughs> but you yeah. can't necessarily have a scene where you know uh, his father headbutts his own son. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I wrote it. I can probably convince Carl to go back and make some edits. We can re- <laughs> re-release it. Make I'll a little do it kind of like with the Ultimates, where like you start drawing your character up when they started drawing Nick Fury to look like Samuel L. Jackson, and next you know he ends up playing him. Hey, maybe. That's <laughs> funny. Nah, yeah, but um, yeah, Josh is really doing great stuff and they just released a uh he has has a movie production company now called modern prometheus interesting yeah i mean not bad he's a guy from manhattan i'm a kid from brooklyn and you know we're we're really proud to see that you know us new york city kids are 
out there trying to make it happen. Oh, very much so. And I and I think that's really cool. And believe me, as someone who lives in New Jersey, I always love seeing someone from the Tri-State do it big. Oh, yeah. And even now, like, as I start meeting more creators and I see a few, like, oh, we're from New Jersey, like, I start, like, silently cheering. I'm like, yeah, that's us. That's us. <laughs> I mean, I do that with music a lot, too, which is kind of embarrassing, where, like, every so often someone on Twitter will be like, tweeting about what's that band the front bottoms and like mm. i have to blow up their feet to keep mentioning the fact they're from jersey as a guest we get it it's like no you don't understand this is big for us it's like census fail yeah uh true story uh aaron's my 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 fiance aaron her second cousin i believe um something's a blocky that's her cousin uh from garrett's a blocky he was in census fail really yeah i think he left recently Oh, that's unfortunate. And I'm actually surprised that of a lot of the bands from that scene, they're actually still pretty popular and they're still doing their thing. Oh yeah, they're definitely making uh, bands are making comebacks too. I, I think you put me up to Glassjaw's making a reunion, right? Or new yeah, album? Yeah, that just Dave. Well, it's weird because I'm missing parts of the story myself. Daryl has a tendency where he was involved in so many different side projects. And then it looked like Glassjaw was never really gonna like do something. So you would you wouldn't hear anything for years. Then they release this EP where for a while you can only find copies of it at like a pizzeria. <laughs> it was very weird, but then they released it digitally and it's fantastic. And then out of nowhere they announced they were dropping another EP called Coloring Book at a show. It was like it came out of nowhere, but style like musically, like it was a kind of a big departure from their normal stuff. It was much more groove oriented, a lot down tempo stuff. I hadn't heard anything for a while. Next, you know, they're now on tour with Queen Cambria for like their big uh, tour for their new album. Nice. And it's just kind of like, wow, um, for a band that you thought was going to break up because they lost at least two fourths of it. <laughs> Like, he's still doing it, so I, I'm... You never know what he's thinking, and it's almost like half the allure, because you never know if they're going to break up, they're going to release new music, or he's going to end up in jail. You never know. I'm still waiting for the new Head Automatica album. It's been like a decade now. I'm not a big Head Automatica guy. Oh, I got into that hard. I felt like I, I went from... Uh... Atreyu and Under Oath to Head Automatica. <laughs> oh man, Atreyu. Oh my God. I was, matter of fact, I, w I didn't go to bed till like five in the morning the other night because I was watching like a lot of old Victory Records music videos. No. <laughs> so once I got to Atreyu, like I, me and the curse, I played that, that CD for yep. at least three months straight, almost nonstop. Yup. I had the hoodies and the shirts and I used to have the, the weird military hat. You know, I'm talking about the flat. Yeah. <laughs> See, the uh, thing is, though, like, I know you now, and obviously we're older and a little bit more now removed from that, in a way. But I, I don't know, like, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I can't see you being that scene guy. Oh, I have pictures I can send to you. Um, <laughs> from from back, in, back in the day, I used to work at Zoomies. That's how scene I was. Wow. <laughs> oh, man, this is like yeah. Mario Unleashed. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I used to. To, uh, when I lived in Poughkeepsie, New York, I used to work at this venue called The Chance. I don't know uh, if you I've know. heard of The Chance, yeah. Yeah, and I used to uh, be a concert promoter. I only dealt with local bands, but I was I was embedded into that scene. You know, uh, hung out with all the local bands and just listened to all the music. And yeah, I was I was deep into that. Then I got to Head Automatic, and I'm like, I'm kind of done with you know screamo music i want to listen to this dance music <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think at the time and i'm still not completely with it but i guess having grown up since then it was well i mean i was still into coheed at the time but not as heavily as i am now but it was them glass drive was big deftones 
I still love my Foo Fighters, but yet Glassjaw for a while was like, it was almost like a religion for me. And it's like, okay, for a band that's only released like two studio albums and a couple of singles here and there, like, I just love this. When Head Automatica came out, like, I was that kid that took it as, like, this betrayal. Like, how dare you? Like, where's the screaming? Where's the angst? Like, you know, where's the song about the drug use? Where's all the, you know? It, it just, I couldn't handle it, and it anchored me for a long time. But yet, as I got older, and I'm still not completely sold on Head Automatica, but yet Daryl Palumbo's got one of those great voices that you just can't help but love. You know, it sounds like you felt the way about him, the way I felt uh, when Finch put out their second album. Oh, my God. I was just doing a um, podcast with the guy, Chris Revel, on Let's Chat, because um, we're always talking about music, and we had this discussion about Finch's second album. What and I forget hell? just how that almost broke the scene. Yeah. I was like, this first album's so good. I still listen to it to this day. That second one, what is that crap? I don't know. And my best friend at the time, he worked at a music store, and every so often he'd come over to the house, and we'd play like X Men Legends like on PlayStation. So he'd, <laughs> and he'd come by with promos that like the store didn't want. So and it'd always be garbage. So it'd be like, what was that Limp Bizkit CD, The Unquestionable Truth Part One? I have no idea. Maybe it was. I don't remember, but anyway, there was that. It was some other promo, and it's like, oh, there's some band named Finch. I'm like, some band named Finch? Are you crazy? So I'm like, pop that in, pop that in. And I was so excited because I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I know, right? And then, and then both of us were like, what the fuck are we listening to? You know what it felt like? It felt like they took too many notes from the from the label and also tried to do a brand new did and just do a whole new thing. Yeah, and the thing is, though, but brand new, they kind of did a whole new thing, even from the beginning, because whereas your favorite weapon mm -hmm. sounded like it could have been very much like your punk kind of Blink-182 style, it was still very different than a lot of stuff that was coming out at the time. Yeah, heavy content, lyrical content, especially. Right, so then when they did Dejan Tandu, it was like, okay... I wasn't with it at first, but then it just like it just hit me like, okay, this makes sense for them. Same, and then they yeah. got further and further down that road. I think Finch tried to do something like that without doing exactly that, and you know, unfortunately, it fell in their face. But they're still doing what it is to burn. They just did the ten year anniversary tour, what two years ago for that? Where did they, played they really? It. Yeah, they played it from track one all the way to Ender. Wow. <laughs> so I guess there's not going to be an anniversary show for that second album, though. No. <laughs> probably not no it's probably See, i would just do just for shits and giggles unless like a promoter was gonna lose a lot of money on it i would do like a couple of one-off shows at a lot of couple of small like maybe some bar venues and see if anybody shows up because i feel like that's gonna be one of those albums that like in another 20 years they'll regard it like when pinkerton came out from weezer and everybody hated it and then like uh, nearly a decade later all of a sudden it became like one of the best albums ever made i don't know uh, yeah, that might be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was trying. So I know we completely veered off the topic of uh, comics into old scene music. But well, see, um, I didn't realize that was your thing. And unfortunately, that, oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I was a huge, uh, my favorite band probably from back then is probably Matchbook Romance. Oh, wow. I knew those guys before their Matchbook Romance. And that connection I had with them before that just rolled over. And then their first album was great. Their second album was even better. Uh I think they're making a comeback. Yeah, a lot of those bands are starting to, but again, that's kind of like that. Well, they were local, though, right? Uh, yeah, they were local to me because they were from Poughkeepsie. But um, yeah, I think they're still going around the the Northeast, at least New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I saw them in West West Chester, Pennsylvania, seven years ago, maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I just got really excited. Um, one of the local guys out here out of New Brunswick, Modern Chemistry, um, they've been touring a lot with uh, Taking Back Sunday. And that was just sort of really cool because I know they're out from what, Long Island? Uh, TBS, yeah. Yeah. They're from Long Island, but yet and it's like seeing a Jersey band, band play with them. It's weird because there's now almost sort of a generational gap there because, I mean, I don't know exactly age-wise, but, you know, they're a little bit older now, but yet, you know, band like Modern Chemistry is just kind of rising up a little bit in the, the Jersey scene, but yet, you know, they've been touring with a band as, you know, legendary as they are, and it's, it's crazy to see, like, and I'm so glad that, thankfully, as far as like the tri-state area, like that, that music scene is still kind of alive and kicking. Yeah, I mean the classic bands will always remain the classic bands, selling out shows. They might not be Madison Square Garden, but Starland Ballroom definitely. You know, funny story about Starland. I saw I saw uh, Justin Timberlake there, like on a solo tour, I guess. Yeah, it was right when um, what's uh, Future Sex Love Sounds came out, and I was a hater going into it, but I was in love with him going out. <laughs> oh, that was the one. I think was it Tim Bland produced that CD. Yeah. Oh, that's it's amazing. But, it was. Uh, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I worked at a music store. The same one I've told you about before. Our manager would play that often, and I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> I need distortion. I need guitar. I need angst. But yet, and I'm like, I can't help it. These grooves are infectious as hell. Ooh, no, especially when Three Six Mafia came out of nowhere on that album. I mean, shit, Three Six Mafia performed at the Academy Awards. Yep. Well, hey, that's all. Talk about the top of the mountain. You know? Like, I was hoping halfway through they would have broken to, like, sipping on some scissor. Oh, no. <laughs> if they had played that at the Academy Awards, I would have bought every CD, T-shirt, whatever from them. Like, it would have been amazing. That's funny. But, yeah, uh, that type of local feel and style is what, you know, going back to the original topic, is what I wanted to pull out into <laughs> into ashes where we you know we could talk about all our local favorite people and i feel like uh twilliger and lopez are people like we can talk about our favorite local bands and spots and have you know things in common of, about places right and i absolutely love that and now i kind of want more of this in a way like okay maybe not necessarily these particular characters but i think you've got a really good handle on you know telling those stories of you know your your neighborhood and the guys that you probably knew and grew up with like just that very sort of slice of life new york feel which i love because hearing the dialogue i'm like oh this is so pitch perfect like i know these guys i used to see them on a weekly basis yeah well you're in luck uh we um exclusive news here we just greenlit ashes to ash wednesday no i'm just kidding <laughs> oh see, <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> i was fine until you said ash wednesday i'm like come on that can't be this <laughs> has to be a weird name right <laughs> oh see that'd be great and then like the third one it's like ashes to ashes yeah, it's starring, uh, starring someone named Ashley, fighting against someone named Ashley. Or like years later, and it's like, um, Robots. it's, it's, it's mom, was his son, Marco? <laughs> now he's a firefighter, now he's going through the same thing. Yeah, no, that would be, um, I think that'd be interesting. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a Staten Island brat, so who knows, but. <laughs> 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 I did that on purpose. I was like, nah, Staten Island is the worst. I'm going to put it, much love to Staten Island people listening to this. Uh, I just said that. But yeah, members of Wu-Tang Clan came out of Staten Island, so I can't hate it. No, I don't mind Staten Island. It's like, um, it's more New Jersey than New York, because you guys, it's like right there in the groove. Of wait, Jersey. hold on, wait, time out. We don't claim Staten Island. Don't get that, don't get that spread around. It's funny, because New York doesn't really claim it that much either. Uh, <laughs> no, um. Damn, I'm sorry for any Staten Island listeners. They're probably already deleting the episode right now. I feel like there's a strong connection between Brooklyn and Staten Island, because of the Verrazano Bridge. 
I don't know about the Queens or Bronx or whatever, but uh, they feel like the true Brooklyn area people. I always, I always say that, yeah, the Brooklyn Bridge is fine, but I think the Verrazano Bridge is the real Brooklyn Bridge. Ooh, this, this sounds like a bit of a challenge here. Putting it out there, I'm getting you know this uh, architecture duel. <laughs> the Verrazano. <laughs> I mean, just look at the people. Not look at the people in a negative way, but I'm saying like those those are true Brooklyn people. Even the people who are just on the other side of Staten Island. You know, you don't get more, you know, real Brooklyn than outside away from Manhattan people. That is very true. Oh, man, this is so inside. And like, I feel bad for anybody who's listening, like on the West Coast. And like, what the hell are they talking about? I could talk about the 405 and the one if you want me to. That can Ooh, do up. it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, let's just I'm... make this real inside baseball, you know, because I, I think that's sort of fun. And again, for me, like, I, I always love this stuff, but anyone else doesn't. So be it. Oh, one of my favorite insults comes from Saturday Night Live. It's uh, it's the Californian skit. But it's like, why don't you, why don't you get on the four hundred five South and get the hell out of here? <laughs> well, that's right. You were just out there fairly recently, weren't you? Oh yeah, I love Los Angeles. I'm a New Yorker, but I love Los Angeles. I'm. I hope to. That's my manifest destiny. One day, uh, I hope to go out and you know make a permanent residency out there. Really, you think you could do it, even as uh, as staunchly New York as you are now? Yeah. Um. You ever watch Mad Men? Not much. I, I like to compare it to Pete Campbell, who's my favorite character of the series. And he is a hardcore New Yorker. He loves Manhattan. He, did, he, he didn't even want to move out to the suburbs when they had a kid because he said Central Park is just fine for a kid to play in. Uh, but as soon as he got out to Los Angeles, he was all about that. And I think that's the way I was. The first time I went out there, I was just like, okay, I need to be out here forever. There you go. There's your plot for Ashes 2. <laughs> Matt moves out to Los Angeles, you know, kind of starting again. But yet, you know, you, you can't take the, the Brooklyn out of the guy, you know? No. Oh, man. Imagine the fires out there. Someone smokes a cigarette and ashes it wrong. The whole state goes up in flames. <laughs> <laughs> But see, the, granted, that's a, it's very more high concept because, you know, he's like piloting choppers and, you know, tons of crops. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, we laugh, though, but hey, you know what, though? That could very well be like not even a sequel, but just another story about firefighters out there because you're right. Holy shit. It's like the world's largest tissue box. This is a little bit of uh, an inside thing because people listening can't see this, but. For the longest time, my my Facebook banner photo was this amazing photo of when there was an explosion in uh, downtown Los Angeles earlier in the year. And it was just this giant, like it was a construction, uh, it was an apartment complex that was being constructed and the whole thing got engulfed in flames. And someone went up to uh, Griffith Observatory and took a photo of it. Sorry to go way too off topic. <laughs> but yeah, Carl studied Brooklyn to an amazing degree he looked at all the architecture for park slope he looked at google earth i sent him photos from my friends who live there just looking at what he did with prospect park and the archway they have there that was an amazing uh splash that he did and i, I and i feel like with all the people in this in the shot he really did capture the essence of brooklyn he really did the, the artwork again and this is going to sound like i'm I, i'm being completely sincere though the, the artwork blew me away on his book I think the approach that I took to the story is what drew him towards me. Because it's not like I went out and was like, hey, I have, you know, something. Do you want to take money for this? He did his research beforehand because he's not just going to, you know, take any old job that comes his way. And uh, right. it was I like the joke that was pretty much like comic book Tinder where we both swiped right at each other. <laughs> and, you know, from there we made uh, an amazing baby together. That's the person you want on your team. You know, okay, there are some people who obviously they'll have to maybe do a job 
and it's just strictly about the check or whatever. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they're not going to slum it by any means, but they're going to do 110%. But when you find someone who's willing to put in that extra work and that attention to detail, because if you're telling a story about New York firefighters and someone who lives in New York, or maybe even be a firefighter themselves or knows of that, they're going to know when you're being authentic and when you're bullshitting, you know? Yeah. So in a way, like to have somebody that, you know, is willing to put in that extra work is, is pretty remarkable. I know he said, because he was being propositioned by other writers as well uh, for <clears throat> for story ideas while he was looking for a, for a new project at the time. And he told me uh, straight up that mine felt like the freshest one. It didn't feel like a clone of something that you could see on the shelf six times over. Because I can't tell you how many stories of firefighters I've read in comics. <laughs> Not too many. Yeah, but you know, how many times have you seen something sort of like Watchmen? Or uh, let's say The Walking Dead. Everything had zombies in it for a long period of time. I like The Walking Dead, not nothing against it, but a lot of other things had zombies in it, trying to you know cash in on the success of that. Well, I, I feel personally that this story could have benefited from the zombies, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you look really closely, uh, you'll see one. It was a visual gag we put in there. Are you are you serious? I don't know. You buy the book and find out. Available now on Amazon. <laughs> I was actually that's something I forgot to ask you. Um, where is the book available? It's everywhere apparently. Jeez. Uh, I've gotten photos from Barnes and Nobles at different places that have it in stock. Uh, they've been great supporters of what we're doing, especially uh, the PR people who run the PR for local Barnes and Nobles. Um, I've had a great time talking with them, and they've been keeping it in stock. Uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, but that's a that's your last resort. I would say go to a comic shop first and see if they have it. If not, if they can order it, I definitely support uh, my comic book shop and other comic book stores as well. Very awesome. And again, that's first of all, congratulations, because you've Thank got you. two books that are out in, in circulation. And I can't wait to hear more about Kamar and whether that gets picked up or if you guys release it independently. I'm still very excited about that one. Thanks. And especially now that I've been playing a lot of Fallout, like that aesthetic is so fresh in my mind. Like, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I've, I'm in love with the uh, 50s culture and uh, also Los Angeles. So I, I just I just feel like it was the perfect blend. <clears throat> But I have I have more news coming up. We're not going to get into this because this focus on this one was ashes. But um, definitely stay tuned because this is not the last you've heard of me from not by a long shot. Oh man, that almost sounded like a little antagonistic. It's like I'm not going out. You hear that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm winding up what I'm doing with comics because you know don't let anyone tell you making comics are expensive. Yeah, and you know I only make so much, and I have I have a wedding this year coming up, and I need to buy a new car. And yada yada, you know, b- basic human needs pretty much. But I feel like what I do have slated is a really good body of work that should hold me over until I do make a, an, a return. Very cool. And I, I hope you do make a return. And obviously, I hopefully you make a return to this show because I always enjoy chatting with you. Oh, yeah, I'll always be on. I'll be your uh, your Andy if you want me just sitting on the side with you. There you go. And I'm at that point now where I really want to start having more return guests because unfortunately, I talked to so many people and I have so many great conversations. I want everybody to come back. But then I realized there were so many weeks in a year. Yeah, time. Time is a factor. Yeah, because then someone still has to edit and post, and you know you still have to coordinate the time with somebody, and you definitely don't want to waste anybody's time. But and especially now that I found out, you know, as far as the music you go, I'm like, shit. Now we got to talk about that at some point. <laughs> uh, no, my my music tastes only really go from let's say 2000 to 2006, where I kind of got out of it. Yeah, you know, like I moved away from that area and, and all those people, and I kind of just you know phased out of it. But that's that's a strong time period. I feel for 
when the rise of all these bands came up. And that was a time that I was very heavily into. And I mean, I didn't ride waves as much in terms of attire, but as far as music, I mean, I was very much into that. And there's, there's so many stories that came out of that. And you're only hearing about it now because again, it's 10 years out that nostalgia is starting to run back in. And for a lot of people dismissed it as, you know, that passing fad, you know, the whole scene thing. So I don't feel like it's ever really given its due if until now that we're a little removed from it. I always have fun listening to people's stories about that time period because I know how it is for me, but yet that doesn't necessarily reflect everybody's experiences. Oh, yeah. That was back when everyone was uh, just starting to wear skinny jeans. Uh, I'm too fat for skinny jeans. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was right when it started to just come out. And maybe if you wore a regular size large, you switched to a medium. <laughs> uh, that's okay yeah. i'm not gonna embarrass you and ask you how many pairs you had i don't think i had skinny jeans but i definitely stuck with uh more narrow legs like mm. uh like more toothpick at the ankles uh, i used to rock levi's 508s but they stopped making them oh that's unfortunate i know it sucks when you get your one brand of pants You're like this looks great and then just what do you mean there's no more <laughs> <laughs> see me i just buy whatever's on clearance i like jc penny i'm the worst Oh, yeah. I was, I was always at Marshall's getting pants. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Mario, thanks so much for coming back on. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad we could talk uh, serious business. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't do that with a straight face. I, I was about to say, and again, hopefully the, the other show we were working on, hopefully that we get to do that because I'm committed. I'm dedicated. I want to get this done because now it's a challenge. Yeah, now we call it the Fallout Fallout. Yeah, because now, well, see, now we definitely have an angle for this one. Uh, oh, but before we go, I'm always about shameless promotion. Please tell the good people where they can find you and your work online. Hey, everybody. So you can find me on Twitter at the other Mario C. You can find me on Instagram if you like boring photos at another Mario C. And I'm on Facebook. It's a random URL. Uh, that's more like for family and such. But if you want to talk to me on there, that's fine. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, uh, Twitter is the best place to catch me. The other Mario C. And I'm always talking about random things. Uh, comic books mainly, but I talk about wrestling. I love my WWE. And uh, I also sort of cry on Sundays when the Eagles are on. So just don't ignore that if you're not into football. See, you're not gonna get any sympathy from me, but at the same time, as a Giants fan, I can't even, I can't even gloat. Giants are horrible. Um, this whole division's awful, dude. Aaron's Aaron's dad called it the, the NFC least. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. The Cowboys are done. Redskins are done. We lost to the Redskins, dude. I know you oh, don't care, but who are you guys playing two weeks ago? You guys are playing the Patriots, and I was mad. You guys lost. I was mad because that was a that should have been a touchdown. Both, yeah. both feet were in. Yeah, he got rid of it, but if both feet touched the ground, it should be a touchdown. If the guy even just extends his hand and the ball goes over the line, it's a touchdown. How does it not count as a touchdown? When you play against a team that cheats, but I've said too much. I know. It's like, I, you know how sweet it would have been to see the look on Tom Brady's face when Eli Manning, bad news, bears his way into another victory for a third time? <laughs> I mean, Eli Manning is the embodiment of the Mighty Ducks. He really is, and I think that's why I love him so much, because at one point, I'm hoping we're going to break out the flying V. He's going to switch jerseys in the middle, and then <laughs> switch the quarterback, and it turns out it's freaking Keenan Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, that's the only boy. person in the Mighty Ducks, Goldberg and Bombay. That's it. 
Nice. Well, before we go on to another sports-related tangent, um, I guess I should say uh, that'll do it for Adrian has this We'll see you next issue. Take care, guys.